The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to the 54th episode of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined as always by my host in California, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, it is the dog days of summer. How are you today? <laughs> for the NBA fans, right? And I think it's an important day. It almost feels like official turning of the page. You know, we free agency trickled out, the big trades trickled out, and the NBA released their new schedule. It's almost like the start of the next season. Don't you feel like it, that? It feels close to it. You know, we're through free agency for the most part. Uh, almost everybody who's not, I don't know, like if you're not Carmelo Anthony, you're probably on a team if you're going to be a, a contributor next year. But it does feel that way, and the NBA released their schedule, and people are talking about it. So uh, I don't know if it's time to get excited about No, definitely not. <laughs> I think most people who are listening are probably like just starting to gear up for football season, maybe, if, you, if you're a fan of both sports. But um, it's, you know, the NBA's trying to stay relevant throughout the summer it, by releasing the schedule. Is there anything that stood out to you? Yeah, the first thing I actually saw – NBA season starts October 22nd. Some really good, I think, like, they obviously limited back-to-backs again this year. Shams tweeted that they're down to, uh, I think, like, 12.5% of games are back-to-backs. One thing I did think was interesting about that, by the way, Zan, is that some teams have more back-to-backs than others, which I get it, kind of with travel constraints, but it, it does seem like it should just be even, right? Like, Well, it should, it should be like it should be zero, right? I mean, it's there's so much concern about, you know, load management and, you know, player safety and all this. I know it's probably hard to do logistically, of course, but is there any reason that the NBA should in an ideal world have a back-to-back game? I mean, it doesn't happen in the playoffs. It's not like a real world situation that these people have to get used to. It's just sort of squeezing in extra games that don't need to be there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that the schedule is 82 games and they know right away when the fi- NBA finals are going to be. So you have X number of days to get it all taken care of. And that's kind of how it plays out. I've, if I was like, obviously the answer to all these questions is there's more money to be made, but in an ideal world, in a world post money, post, you know, greed, I would like to see them push the schedule back a little bit. Because I, I don't, I feel like it comes on too quickly and people are still in NFL mode and they're not really excited about the NBA until I think around Christmas. Um, reduce the amount of games in the regular season, I think is a long slog. I don't really see the benefit of 82 versus 74 or 72, aside from, you know, a few extra games for the owners. Um, and uh, that's why my take on it. I mean, I don't know why there needs to be 82 games in a regular season anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just for history's sake at this point, I think they, we kind of now know that smart front offices and smart coaches are just going to sit the guys, the amount of games that they think they need to play anyway. But I mean, I heard, you know, it's weird. I heard this genie bus. I remember her specifically talking about 82 and she's like history of the game, you know, all the records. I'm like, I don't know very many records aside from the, you know, 72, 73 total wins that people even 
consider single season records. You know, like everything is so per game average in the NBA. It's it's not like baseball. It's not like football. Like I don't think there's like an aggregate total record that people care about. Once in a while, you'll hear like Steph Curry broke the three record, but no one knows the number. No one even knows it unless the ESPN is talking about it that specific day. It's actually very funny that that's the record you picked out because when I was gonna, my follow up question to you was gonna be like, what single season record do you think we could see broken? And the only one I could think of that has been broken is Steph Curry breaking the record for most threes made in a season, and he's broken his own record several times, but. Right. And a lot of that, it's because like Will Chamberlain scored like 100 points a game or whatever. So it's like, it's hard to break a lot of those old records. But do you know any like aggregate total records? I can't tell you the most points in a season. I can't tell you. I can't even tell you who it is. I mean, I could t- maybe tell you like we, we talk about James Harden averaged 36 points per game. It's always per game. Will average 50 points a game. But all. that's per game again. Like I, there's no, no one ever keeps track of the totals. It, it is very different. It is very different than baseball, where it seems like people know, obviously, like they know the home run record, they know the RBI record. Like, it seems very different than that. I and also, you. NFL, like, you care about the thousand yard season. You don't care necessarily about this guy's rushed for 120 yards per game. You never hear per game. Um, and so, I, I don't think there's really much of an argument for that. And if they want, like, the money, the money's the issue, then, you know, there's other ways to get more money. I think, you know, we talked about international tournaments or. I don't mind the idea of like a play-in, extra play-in game for the playoffs. I think that'd be kind of fun. I'd rather watch an extra playoff game than an extra five boring regular season games. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, it's, I don't, I don't ultimately, you know, not to rain on your parade here, but I, I don't think the NBA is going to change the schedule. I, I just don't see it happening. I don't think they're going to limit the amount of games. I do think if, if a commissioner was going to do something drastic like that, if you picked all the major sports, sort of Adam Silver would probably be the most likely guy to do it. We, we have talked a little bit about him probably being – the most reactionary is probably not fair, but he does listen to the players, and we have seen him make changes based on things the players have said. But, again, I do think the league is doing a better job of – you know they, they made the All-Star break a little bit longer last year, which has proven to be a little bit more important. They've tried to do their best to – be a little bit logistically better in terms of teams traveling because the Western conference, you just get beat up a little bit in terms of how far you have to travel. The the teams that travel the most miles are always in the West. It's just kind of the way it works because there's less teams out there, more teams on, you know, kind of West East of the Mississippi, if you will. But I don't see that happening. Just again, like you said, the owners are the ones that are ultimately going to make this decision. And the NBA is just not going to have a labor disagreement. The the guys make too much money. Like it's not going to be a situation like we're not going to see, 2022 lockout it's not going to happen in the nba well not about that and the players like you know load management they don't want less games but if you gave them the choice like hey we'll play 10 less games and you get five percent less money they'll play the games correct and they'll just sit the games again this is this is the thing like it's just not going to be a situation where i think we're going to see that happen i will say a couple things that i thought the nba did really well Shams tweeted this as well, that the NBA limited uh, the number of starting times at 10.30 p.m. Eastern for the Lakers and the Warriors to from 19 for the Lakers and 18 for the Warriors to 10 and 11, respectively. So it's pretty clear that they recognize that the balance of power, at least in terms of superstars, has shifted a a tiny bit with LeBron being in L.A. and people being complaining about that. So I think that was smart, especially get Steph Curry seen as well on the East Coast, because, I mean, you, you know as well as I do, you're on the West Coast, but like those 10:30 eastern games on TNT like their viewership is just crickets for people that have to get up and go to work in the morning on the east coast and even in central time like for me sometimes those games don't end until one o'clock in the morning it's definitely it's definitely like one of the greatest benefits of being on the, the pacific coast is is sports i mean like i don't know how people stay up that late 
No. And I, I think the one big main takeaway, and I want to talk about Zion Williamson in a second, because it's very clear that the NBA has recognized like, okay, this guy is going to bring in more fans, but the league 100%, in my opinion, take, took care of the Lakers. A little. Well, let's, let's go through who are the, the teams that the NBA is most excited to showcase or the, the networks are the most excited. All right. So let's just, we'll start on, we'll start on opening night, right? So opening night Pelicans against Raptors, 8 PM TNT. Pretty clear. Pelicans versus Raptors. Okay. Right. right. So Zion right away, biggest stage, 8 PM. That's, that's the game that people are going to want to watch. And then right. And then obviously the Raptors like get your rings, like it'll be great. Nobody will care about the Raptors for the rest of the year. And then literally right after that, 1030 Eastern, despite myself, Lakers Clippers on opening night on TNT. Wow. That is must see. That's must see TV. It's, it's, it's funny. Are you surprised that they did that right away? Yeah. Because it, it is one of those things that people would wait for, you know, like, and to be honest, like you can get away with a slower start because people are excited just for basketball, you know, like that New Orleans Toronto game is not the most exciting, I don't think, but I would watch it because you're, you're like craving it at that point, you know, you're ready for NBA action and certainly Zion, the enthusiasm for Zion would carry you. Um, so I do think that's a game that Clippers Lakers, you know, you could save that bullet for sure. Right. And they play four times. So you get other chances to see it. One thing I thought of was that I think the league is very well aware with those two teams that you're going to have nights in the middle of the season and towards the end of the season where LeBron and Kawhi and Paul George and predictably Anthony Davis as well are not going to play. So I think they wanted to make sure that right away, while the buzz is the highest, that they got all of those guys against each other in, in, in a night where you would, ex- and, and my and thing- while they're healthy. And you know, that's I, looking at the numbers. I was surprised by that. Like the Lakers, of course, were we're just looking at the difference now, total national TV games. Lakers last year, 30 led the league, which makes sense. They had LeBron last year, uh, leading the league again to 31. Totally makes sense. Um, but the Clippers go from five to 26. And certainly they're one of the favorites, if not the favorite to win the title. I don't know that they're the most exciting team to watch in a regular season game. It's it's interesting. I didn't think we talked a lot about basketball strategy in this episode. This is more of a like, hey, what's going on with the league? But the Clippers are going to be a really interesting team to watch just in the sense that like they don't really have a true point guard and they have a lot of interesting pieces that are all very good. But you could, you're exactly right, Dan. Like you could see them on national TV and they could just be playing iso ball over and over and over again. And like Montrez Harrell has like a huge dunk and people love it. Lou Williams starts to go goofy in like the fourth quarter and people love it. But like from a pure stylistic standpoint, like the Clippers aren't going to be super fun to watch. I don't think they're going to be very good and very hard to compete against because they'll guard. But I, I agree with you. Like we could see a ton of like Paul George ISO or like Kawhi ISO on the wing, like Lou Williams pick and roll. Like that's what it's going to be. They're not going to be like, it's not going to be like the Warriors who I think will be one of the most fun teams to watch this year. Yeah, I agree. Like in Kawhi Leonard, as good as he is, you know, the top five player, he, and he's fun to watch, I guess in the playoffs, you know, but his game is not like that aesthetically pleasing, you know, as you mentioned, it's like a lot of ISO, a lot of like, you know, jump shots. He's not like slamming his way to the rim. He's not like shooting wild threes like Steph Curry. I would say that Paul George is more fun to watch than Kawhi, like more like just in terms of he's really smooth, like ton of different tricks in his bag. Like his jumper is like really pretty, whereas Kawhi's can be like line drive. He's just not as big and strong and athletic as Kawhi is where he just just manhandles guys to the basket. It's, it's wild, you know? I, I think, but Paul George, I think if you asked me, like, who's the most fun guy to watch? Of those two, him. And then I honestly think Lou and Trez are probably both more fun to watch than either of those guys. Well, it's, it's sort of like the ratio between entertainment value to talent level. And um, 
I think, however I'd frame that, like Kawhi has his talent level is much higher than his entertainment ratio. And in the way that I think like Tim Duncan would be like Tim Duncan was a great player, but he wasn't as fun to watch in his prime as Kobe. Unless you love like, and there are people that love this, like basketball lifers, like they love watching guys defend, but people love like, I mean, no one really likes that. that I mean, people watch, you know, but like, it's the same reason that like people don't really like watching Floyd Mayweather fights. I'd rather watch, you know, like the knockout artists. So getting back to, to this though, before we get into the national TV stuff, let me, let me, run down the opening slate real quick so so i like that first game i mean zion in terms of we'll see how good of a talent he is in terms of like tune in factor he is as high as it gets because people want to see that one dunk a game and good on the nba they gave him a christmas day game as well so like the two games of the year where people are like unabashedly going to tune in and be like hey i want to see what's going on the nba season and now it's christmas i don't have anything else to do i'd like to avoid my family if you're maybe not celebrating christmas and you were at the movies that day you can still get home for zion like it'll be great but then the next night, ESPN gets, uh, you know, ESPN always gets kind of like the little brother games, but they go with Celtics Sixers as their opener. Are you surprised that it's those two teams and not Sixers Bucks? Well, from what I recall, because I remember doing our podcast, it was, that was the same last year, right? It was Boston Philly. And I remember watching them both. We both came away thinking that these teams probably not going to win the title um, last year. So it's kind of interesting vaguely to like see how they're different this year and how they stack up. But I don't know. I, I feel like Philadelphia is, is almost like a clear notch ahead of Boston right now. So I, I don't know how excited I am to watch it, but um, I think that's more of like a purist game. Like if you're, you're a fan of the NBA, if you're watching that game. And shout out to Jared Dubin. He is, uh, I believe, at Yaya or at J.A. Dubin 5 on Twitter, but he did the national title or the <laughs> national title national uh, TV games kind of rankings and the Sixers fifth overall for most national TV games of anybody in the East and uh, Milwaukee six right behind him, Boston seven. Well, am I, am I wrong about that? Just as a big picture thing. Cause you know, Philadelphia and Boston were similar this year, three and four Boston had a better point differential, but I think Philly was a little better in the playoffs, but I, I don't know. I, I, I guess, you know, going from Kyrie to Kemba is not a big difference. So maybe Boston's going to be at the same level. I just think of Philadelphia as a little notch. Ahead. I think I think Philly is better than them. Like, there's a good chance that Boston's going to start Enos Cantor, which I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, he he clearly was a big piece of a team that went to the Western Conference Finals last year. But I don't think like Boston to me. I honestly feel like they're being a little bit overvalued. I'm a little bit surprised that they're such a needle mover nationally. Like, I guess, like, you need to play teams in the East, and there has to be Eastern Conference teams to play in that, like, 7 and 8 o'clock spots on the East Coast on Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. But, like, it really surprised me that Boston got four ABC games. Like, that just seems I, – I don't get it, Zan. Like, I don't think this team – like, they don't play a particularly exciting style on offense. I guess maybe you're waiting for the Jason Tatum blow-up. Kemba is fun to watch. Right. But it's Kemba's not like- fun to watch, but it's a sort of – we talk about talent versus entertainment factor, like – Kemba and, and Kyrie are similar, right? I, you know, depending on what you value. But it's like Kyrie has been in the spotlight for so long, you know, being on the finals and he has exciting play. It's style, like, and Kemba's been the complete opposite. He's probably been just as talented, but he's been like in such a black hole in Charlotte that I don't think the average person knows who he is. No, and it's interesting because Brooklyn, I mean, I think the league made a statement. Like they, they are aware that like Kevin Durant is a needle mover and they don't necessarily believe that Kyrie is because they have zero ABC games. They are 12th in national TV games. They're on ESPN six times, TNT six times, NBA TV eight times. But like zero games on ABC for Kyrie Irving, like that's got to be the first time since his rookie year probably that it's like that. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a little low just for the – I think Kyrie – I mean if he's playing – 
he is he has an aesthetically pleasing style. I think Steph Curry does as well. Um, in com- contrast to like I, you love James watching James Harden. I don't know how many people like watching James Harden. Well, but. I would say that Kyrie, you're you're right in what you're about to say, that Kyrie is aesthetically better to watch than Kyrie. Like, it's fun when he's making layups and getting to the rim. Like, uh, it's, it's ridiculous and it's, it is, it's not like a subjective thing. I think if you were going to do like an advanced Tal Boger, like um, analytical approach to it, it would be simply that it's more fun to watch people make shots than it is to watch them make, make free throws. Shots. Yeah, and it's just like making shots is fun to watch. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes James Harden makes shots. Sometimes, no, he makes shots, but he also it slows the game down a lot with the free throws. Uh, I'm looking at it, but you know, I it's, it's such an imbalance. You talk about like some of these, the highest teams are like in the 25 to 30 range, and there's so many teams that have just one or two national TV games. Like, do you think the league should try to spread the wealth a little more? I well, mean, not, like, nobody has, nobody has, nobody has less than three. Cleveland and Charlotte have three national TV games. So that's including NBA TV, right? Charlotte. Uh, okay. Cause I'm only looking at ABC, ESPN and TNT. Cause they, a lot of them only have one. Like Charlotte has one. Chicago has one. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, it's, it's like Washington has one on ESPN and three on NBA TV. I mean, these teams don't, but they don't move the needle. Like that's, I, I was going to, I was going to point out that, that Zion has two ABC games and Portland only has one. Like only, only a certain amount of teams have ABC games. Zion has two. Like New Orleans has two. Philly has six. Milwaukee has four. The Lakers have five. The Clippers have five. Houston has five. Golden State has five. And Boston has four. And then New Orleans has two and Portland has one. And that's it for ABC. Yeah, I, I, I wonder too. I just think like there's certain teams that are boring, are going to be tough to watch. I don't like Charlotte or Cleveland. Those I don't are, think they they're should be really bad to watch. Yeah. And, and I don't think they should force those down the throat, but there are certain young teams. I think that like, for example, Atlanta is on two on my list two and you know, national TV games. Yep. Trey young's fun to watch. Like if you put Trey young in a matchup against like Luka Doncic or something like that's a game that has like an angle that you could sell or, you know, like Zion versus the Knicks and RJ Barrett. Like we watched the summer league game that they, they could sell that angle. And Certain teams like that, or Phoenix has won, but you put John Drayton in a game against Darren Jackson, like people would watch that to some degree, right? There's a, at least a storyline you can sell. Maybe. I'm surprised. Like, it's it's funny to see that, like, Memphis has their 26th in national TV games, one on TNT, one on ESPN. And, like, John Morant was the second pick. Like you said, Trey Young, two games on TNT. Like, I was runner up for rookie of the year, could have made an argument for that he should have been rookie of the year. They also have DeAndre Hunter. They also have Cam Reddish. Like, I mean, the Knicks, too. Like, they get national TV games because they're the Knicks, but they only have three, and that's R.J. Barrett. Like, should the league spread it out a little bit longer because they need these younger guys to be better? Uh, and, I, and I would just highlight them in, in certain ways. You know, like, uh, Sacramento has won. You know, like, they're a fun team to watch if you hype them up a little bit. Um, I, You know, it's not a big market, so maybe they don't care, but – if you have Portland 20, Sacramento one, I don't think that should be that extreme of a difference. Maybe. I mean, Dame, they, the league's doing a good job marketing Dame, but like look at Minnesota, right? Your guy, Carl Anthony Towns, one of the biggest points of contention of our last podcast. Second, second game of opening night is Minnesota against Brooklyn. Uh, and it is yeah, October 23rd on ESPN, Minnesota. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Just that's Minnesota's only game. It's, and it's, it's against Brooklyn on opening night for them, October 23rd. And it's like, 
what are we doing with Carl Towns? Like you do need to showcase a guy like that. Like, right. And, and I think, you know, that team is just so janky around him. It might be hard to do, but I do think there's a specific difference between again, the theme, entertainment value, talent value, like Zion is a star. Like, you know, do you remember tennis? Like the, who is the biggest tennis star, female tennis star of like the nineties or zeros. Do you remember? No, I mean a little after that, like, Martina, Martina Hingis was yeah, probably the Monica, biggest name, but, Monica Sellis, somebody but like who that. was like the big name to me was Anna Kornikova. And like, she was like that. the crossover star comparatively, or at least her talent to fame entertainment value ratio was the most skewed. Right. Um, Cause I don't think she was ever like one of the top five tennis players, but she was one of the top five, at least most famous tennis players. And I think certain players like that, like Trey Young is fun to watch. Right. Don't you think? Yeah, and I, and I would imagine that next year this will change a little bit, and I would guess that Trey Young will be featured a little bit higher, especially if they play well this year. But also, like Atlanta's probably not going to make the playoffs. The market is very weak in its own right; like it's a very transient market, and that's one thing we're not really considering. Is like, I mean, the Knicks probably having as few national TV games as they do is surprising, just because New York, the New York market is huge. Same with Brooklyn, I think. Like they should draw viewers, whereas Atlanta just isn't going to. And it'll be interesting to see how Milwaukee does. Like. They have a ton. They have 34 national TV games this year. Like Giannis is a big star, but again, he's not an American and Milwaukee's a small market in its own right. Like it'll be interesting to see what happens with Milwaukee, I think. Well, just to my point, because you, you scoffed at it. Um, Anna Kornikova, if people don't remember her, she's a really pretty Russian tennis player. Um, her highest career rank in tennis, the, like her peak, she was ranked eighth in the world in the, in the ladies tournament. And she... Um, her sponsorship deal, according to this, Complex Sports was the 11th highest of all time in any sport. So that is somebody who's like marketability versus talent ratios, the most skewed. But you're making, but you're making an argument based on an individual sport and not a team sport. And like, yes, she was bad, but also she was a good-looking female who I believe had posed in Playboy. And like, that, it's just not the same, honestly. It's well, I'm not. just saying like there's certain people who, who drive... And, and obviously it's for different reasons, but whatever they capture like the zeitgeist. And I think, and, and I would say that J- Zion Williamson is a good example of this. We don't right, know. How that's good what the I mean. Pelican, we don't know how good the Pelicans are going to be. We don't, we think they'll be good. Probably not a lock to make the playoffs. Whereas every other team playing on Christmas day, I would say is a hundred percent getting into the playoffs. And yet Zion is a feature on opening night. If the league doesn't want to call it that, whatever. And then he's also got a primetime Christmas day game. And that is high level NBA marketability for a guy like that. And and deservedly so. I mean, it would be funny though. I mean, the league is banking highly on Zion. Like, what if he gets hurt? What if, you know, then then that's a tough watch. New Orleans has talent, but still, like, no one's watching Lonzo Ball anymore. No one's excited about that anymore. I do think it's funny. The Clippers get uh, they get the Lakers on opening night, and then two like a couple nights later they get the Warriors, which I thought was very interesting. What about this? This is an interesting one for you. You know, a lot of turnover new talent new partnerships if you could only watch two teams like which two teams are you the most excited to see how they look is it the Lakers versus clippers maybe that's the opening you know day maybe that's the one but do would you want to see how zion looks in the nba like if you had to pick and you could only watch two teams for the first month what would it be this is going to be a really like this is going to be a really tough answer to kind of get my point across with because like i've been very honest about how i do really like watching james harden I don't really like watching LeBron at this point. Like, I don't like how he carries himself on the court anymore. I mean, he's a tremendous basketball player, but he refuses to kind of like acquiesce to the way that we want 
him to play where we think he could play better and maybe he will this year I don't know I guess for like the sheer like drama of it the the Lakers are going to be a team you're going to have to watch because they have so many goofy personalities to go along with these two unbelievable superstars so I guess I'm going to say the Lakers are one of the teams because like I want to see how it goes and then the Rockets are the other one because like I just want to see how that works so badly but I don't think either one of those teams is going to be the the most fun to watch. I, I think it's like two subsets, you know, Zan? Like, I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, it, like, as a basketball, like, that's why the Denver, Denver is one team I really want to see this year. I want to see how they're going to play. I really do. Compared and, to what, though? I mean, it's pretty similar. Well, they get another they get another year with everybody together. Maybe they get Michael Porter back. So I, I'm very interested in Denver. And then, you know what? I'm, I'm really, really interested. I'm really interested in Utah with Mike Conley. Like, I don't know if it's going to make them so much better like everybody else does, but it they at least have the one kind of like they added the one piece where it's like, okay, if they're going to go from 50 wins to like 59 wins, the really good offensive point guard is going to make them better. Oh, well, I'll give you my own answer. I think the Clippers Lakers is, is kind of hard to deny just because it's, you know, somewhat of a rivalry, you know, two arguably the two favorites and, you know, Kawhi, LeBron, Paul George, like they play similar enough positions that it's like a direct one-to-one matchup. That's really fun. Uh, arguably the two best players. Um, and then for like a casual, like let's say opening night's over, it's, you know, January 20th and it's a slow night. Which team are you tuning into? I, I still think Zion is up there. I think he's really fun to watch. And the guy that I think is being slept on in all of this, although they do have 30 national TV games, uh, Golden State, even without the talent, Steph Curry is still extremely watchable. And if he, if he has a monster year, you know, he's still going to be like a marquee star. I think this is a really interesting year for Steve Kerr because for years and years and years, everyone's like, oh, Steve Kerr really hasn't had to do anything. And like, for some reason, you know, they won 50 games back-to-back years with Mark Jackson. He comes in, they win back, they win a title, win 67 games, then they win 73 games, then they get Kevin Durant. And I think it's kind of like masked the fact that like Steve Kerr had this like massive improvement under him on a team that was already good. So I wonder if we're going to see like Steph and Draymond and, and, uh, D'Angelo Russell kind of like rejuvenated a little bit this year along with Steve Kerr and being like hey I get a chance to really like coach a team rather than like I mean the Warriors were just kind of like on autopilot for like two and a half years and like well and Steph Curry too it's like you it's like you forget <laughs> Dr. Dre what's that Dr. Dre song like forgot about forgot Dre forgot about Dre yeah it's kind of kind of like that I mean if his body is still capable one of the things that I think has been a super interesting Twitter argument, Andy Glockner, who used to do Bubble Watch for ESPN and Sports Illustrated at various points in his career, he's always said that like Kevin Durant, the one thing that Kevin Durant did is we, we kind of got robbed of like Steph Curry legitimately in his prime, what he maybe would have done in 16, 17, 17, 18. Right. Well, and also you look at like, like James Harden's a good shooter. Uh, James Harden shot more threes than Steph Curry last year who's the best three-point shooter of all time. So what if Steph Curry shoots 14 threes a game? What if he's 15? I mean, you know, he could take this whole new level. Again, if his body's capable, he's, you know, 31 now. Um, doesn't seem to quite get the separation, but maybe maybe he will. Maybe he'll just blow up and be MVP again. It's, I think it's entirely possible. I think he's like plus 550 to win MVP places right now, which seems like pretty good odds. Uh, you know, I, I would say that Anthony Davis is the one guy to me that I think – you know, the narrative will be very good. But yeah, if like Golden State wins 55 games with Steph Curry and they're like the two seed or even the one seed and he averages like 28, eight and four on like 45, you know, like on like 50, 45, 80, 85, 90, whatever, he'll win MVP for sure. And he'll also have, a you know, if whether or not he can do it every night remains to be seen, he'll have a couple of spectacular nights. I think he could have like a couple 60 point games or something like that. I do think them adding D'Angelo Russell, like, 
while people were kind of like, this doesn't necessarily make sense, or like, what are they going to do without Clay Thompson? That gives them another ISO score. It's, it's slightly different because obviously he's not Kevin Durant. Nobody is. And yes, his shooting was probably a bit of an aberration last year. We don't know, though. He could be a good shooter. He's going to play on a team with a, a lot of space. They're going to find him the ball in very you know, good spots on the floor. But that's a guy that like Steph Curry can give the ball to, and, and he's a great passer, D'Angelo Russell. I, like I said, I always thought he was more like Manu or James Harden than, than you know, kind of this like, dynamic scorer. I thought he was kind of more of a combo. It's going to be interesting to see like kind of how they take turns. It may not be as pure of a like it's your turn, my turn type Kevin Durant, Steph Curry thing. But if Steph's having an off night, like D'Angelo Russell is a guy who can score in pick and roll and score in ISO and kind of take a lot of heat off Steph Curry. So I do think on the offensive side of the ball, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Defensively, it could be, could be tough. It, it could be different, I think, for them. But Well, can that, can that transition us? Are you done scheduled? Because I, I want to talk about something else, too. All right, here, here's the one thing I did want to say. Uh, if you are a Kings fan like one Zandrick Ellison, uh, their schedule in April is brutal. They have the worst strength of schedule down the stretch in the NBA. So if they're close to a playoff race, that's going to be very tough. Uh, other thing when looking at strength of schedule numbers, obviously bad teams have easier schedules. They cannot play themselves. Teams in the West have to play West teams more. But – the two toughest strengths of schedules this year, Oklahoma City and Phoenix. So if you're looking at maybe a Phoenix over, probably ain't going to happen. Oklahoma City, who knows? This kind of translates into, I think, what Zan wants to talk about, like what happens if they move Chris Paul or Gallinari. But they could be very bad very quickly if they move things. Easiest schedule in the NBA this year, Zan. You want to take a guess? Well, it, I think it tends to be what you said. Like, it has to be an Eastern Conference team, so give it a shot. The easiest schedule, it's usually, as you mentioned, good teams because they can't play themselves. I don't know, Toronto? No. Uh, Milwaukee, easiest schedule by winning percentage. Philly, second easiest schedule. And then Boston, uh, the fifth easiest schedule. So if you're looking at over-unders in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. I, see, I never really care that much about NBA schedule, strength of schedule, because it's fairly balanced. It's, it's not like the last NFL. Year. Exactly. And, and this year, too, there's some teams that were not great in the West that are probably going to be better this year. So you can't really pad your stats against like going to Sacramento, like going to Phoenix, going to Dallas. Even Atlanta is going to be better. So, But if you are looking at some over-under stuff, just something to keep in mind. Houston, an easier schedule. The Lakers have the least amount of miles traveled of any team in the NBA West. So that should matter too for those old legs. Clippers, second easiest schedule. So I do think, uh, you know, those are just some interesting things to keep in mind. But yeah, Golden State, probably the toughest schedule of any of the East contenders. Pelicans, fourth toughest schedule. So again, if you're expecting the Pelicans to be very good right away, you know, they, they probably have to learn how to win together, I think. But I know you want to transit. I know you want to transition. Again, thanks to Jared Dubin at Dubin 5 on Twitter for all the strength of schedule and national TV game stuff. Really, really great stuff. Well, the one thing I thought was interesting because you talked about Golden State is, and the whole podcast we talked about, this is like turning the page, new season. Everyone's set, the new teams, you know, we're excited to see how they're all made up. But I was just wondering about teams that seem like they have unfinished business. You know, like the, the roster's not really done yet. Or there's still a move to make. And it might not happen this month. It might not happen, you know, until the trade deadline. But since we talked about Golden State, let's start with them. You know, they added D'Angelo Russell to a max deal because I think because they needed to get something out of the Kevin Durant trade, sign and trade, uh, or whatever it was. Clay's going to come back eventually. Like, do you think this is the new team? Like, is D'Angelo Russell large part of their future or are they just sort of showcasing him and then maybe flipping him when clay comes back i don't think they're going to flip him when clay comes back i think it's more likely that we see him get moved in a year again like the schedule the contract's pretty favorable free agency is very thin next year so 
if guys are going to look to add, like Draymond's not going to be there. I would be stunned if Anthony Davis is going to be there. It's just not a, a deep free agency class. We've talked about this. So I think there's going to be some teams that are going to take some shots and maybe Golden State, if it doesn't work out this year, they can flip him. But I do, I, I feel very strongly about the fit with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. I think they're going to keep him this year. I don't see D'Angelo Russell being moved. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, it gives them, I wasn't a huge fan of the signing, but it does give them some flexibility. Like, Hey, maybe it works out really well. And they love D'Angelo Russell as like the 23, 24 year old. And they think that maybe Clay Thompson's the guy to move for value. You never know. I mean, you can't rule anything out. He He's tougher though. Cause he has, he has a trade kicker, I think. And, uh, he signed a full five-year max. So I, I think his deal is a little bit harder to move. And I also He's just better. But again, if he's never the same guy after the injury, it's always something we have to consider. It's certainly possible. But I don't um, so other teams like that, like, so are they going to, is there still a move left in the tank? We mentioned this team to your favorite team, Houston. Um, and, you know, we're, they're going to try Russell Westbrook and James Harden together, obviously. Um, besides that, the, you know, Eric Gordon is still like their top bench guy, another shooter, shooting, shooting guard. Austin Rivers, you know, good backup, I guess. Is this team set? Is Are they happy with this lineup, or do you think they're going to move maybe Eric Gordon for another bigger forward? I don't think they're going to move Eric Gordon, uh, but I don't think they're set. I, I still – we're kind of waiting. We're waiting to see what happens with Amon Shumpert, and he played for them last year. He's one of the few guys I think that actually is still available via free agency that can help you in spurts. Davos Cephalosha is still out there. He may not shoot it enough for them, but if they do need a bigger wing, he played well for Utah last year. You know, one other guy that I, I was a little bit surprised didn't sign, he's going to Europe, but I wonder if like you could coax him back. Jonas Jerebko is another guy, like a long shooter. I know Swedish Larry Bird is what Bill Simmons calls him, but like, I mean, he was okay for Golden State. They couldn't really play him in the playoffs, but if you need some depth, like... Right. Or at least in the regular guy. season. Like, cause, like Houston, I think one of Houston's problems we've talked about on the show is that being small in the playoffs, hurt their defense, hurt their rebounding. And right now, you know, they might end up playing Eric Gordon a small forward a lot. They have Daniel House, who's not huge. Gerald Green, who's more of like, you know, hybrid shooting guard, small forward. Austin Rivers, like. I guess. And then the power forward, you know, PJ Tucker's going to play a lot. Right now they have Gary Clark and Anthony Bennett. They brought in as a flyer. Love it. He's going to work out. Ben Mecklemore's on that team now too. Yeah, but it's still kind of Thing. like you know remember they got rid of james ennis like a guy like that would have been helpful just as like a plugger cephalosha is the one that makes the most sense to me if you're talking about this from like a size standpoint but i think we know this zan like their lineup in the regular their, their lineup to close games in the regular season is most likely going to be russ harden pj tucker eric gordon and capella like that's roughly that's mostly what it's going to be maybe in a in an absolute pinch if like all of a sudden, Capella can't play in the playoffs. Maybe we see Austin Rivers in there. Maybe we see Daniel House in there. And Tucker's the five again. I think it's going to be really interesting. I do think Westbrook gives them a little bit more athleticism, gives them more size, which Chris Paul did not give you. But I do think you're, you're right. I, I don't, they're not going to move Eric Gordon. He's too valuable on offense to them. But I, they, they, they need another wing who can defend and provide some length. And they're hoping Daniel House is that guy. That's the bottom line. But So, so for Houston, I think it's interesting because they might have some holes to fill. And then two other teams I want to talk about do they have too much depth in the sense that like Toronto for years, you know, prior to this year, you know, they consolidated like a lot of two for ones and three for ones and, and took a bunch of good players and turned it into yeah, a great like, starting like lineup. 11 good players and like two all-stars, but not good enough to win the title. Right. And so you're Sounds team, like, you're about to bring up Boston. Well, I was bringing up two. uh, Boston is one of them. So, uh, 
you know, despite some losses, you know, Al Horford and Kyrie, they still have Campbell Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Tatum, Cantor. And then the guys that, that I think are interesting, the rookies, Romeo Langford and Grant Williams, like, you know, kind of slept on a little bit, but they could be pieces in the future. So Carson Edwards, team, right? Yeah, Carson Edwards, another good one. Um, is this a team that is set or are they just like, is there like a package that they can make to bring in another superstar? Yeah. I don't think the, I don't think the package is out there. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know. Basically we, we've, we've thought about it on, on this level and we've beaten this drum to not to death, but we've talked about this a lot. Like there's a few guys available that we think could really like shift the playoff race. Brad Beal is the, the main guy. Like, if you trade for Brad Beal and you're a good team or a great team, he is going to put you in a never, another level. Whether or not the Wizards are going to trade him, I highly doubt. Like I said, my my intel, my certain basketball insider knowledge says that the Wizards feel very strongly that Brad is going to sign the biggest contract he can sign with them, and, and they think he feels the same way. I don't know that that's true. Uh, Danilo Gallinari just had surgery, but he's one that I think could move. Kevin Love is the other one. I don't know what the Celtics value is of those guys. The Wizards are absolutely not trading. Like, sure, they could trade Jason Tatum for Brad Beal if they knew he resigned. I think the Wizards would do that. But I don't think the Celtics are going to do that. So what, what are the Celtics going to move? Like, it makes sense. Like, Jalen Brown for Danilo Gallinari to me, like Brown and something for Gallinari, like, I think that makes the Celtics a lot better. But, like, we know they're playing Haywood. Or Hayward. So like, right. No, I don't think they're going to do like a rental on Gallinari. I think, you know, we talked about Houston before. Gallinari for Houston. That's a that's a game I changer. I, think. I just don't think they can do it. I, just, I, don't, I don't know what they have, they but, you know, Gallinari's expiring. So I don't think Oklahoma City is, you know, clinging on to dear life for, for him. For Boston, you know, we talk about Kevin Love going to Portland all the time. And I think that still makes a lot of sense. I think it makes sense in Boston. I mean, you have Cantor, um, but... Having the ability to use, you know, Kevin Love either for exercise at power forward or playing him as a stretch center does add them in a different dimension. We talk about all the time their offense is not very good or hasn't been very good, or at least elite. Having a shooting stretch big with Kemba Walker and then you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, like that becomes a much more dangerous team. He can credibly play maybe an even better version of Horford on offense. He cannot guard Joel Embiid. He cannot guard five positions. So I don't know if he would make them better, but he can play the Horford role on offense for sure. What, what's a deal like that look like for Cleveland? I think, you know, and that's why like Oklahoma City, I don't think is clinging to Gallinari. I don't think Cleveland should at least cling on to Kevin Love. So you talk about like these sort of okay prospects that we like. We talked about Romeo Langford and Grant Williams and Robert Williams, maybe if you think he's good or Carson Edwards. I don't think Cleveland would mind just taking a couple of those level prospects and just getting off the Kevin Love contract. Hmm. It's really interesting. I don't know. Money-wise, it doesn't quite make sense because, you know, Boston doesn't have a lot of big money contracts anymore. Um, so maybe have to Gordon Hayward somehow. But I mean, they have the Hayward Max, which obviously they can, they can get out from under, I believe, this coming year, right? It was a three-year. might have been a player option, which I'm sure he'll execute. But. Well, there's also the chance to – this is the hard part with Boston, right? there is a chance that Gordon Hayward is much better this year. Like, talk about this. Like, devastating knee, leg injury, you know, one of the grossest ones we've ever seen. He's a whole year off and then comes back last year. He was absolutely not the same guy. Like, two years removed, maybe he's a good bit better. And I think that if that's the case, then all of a sudden we really are sleeping on Boston. Right. Well, because then – and then a healthy – I like Kevin Love. But you would rather have a healthy Gordon Hayward. 
Yeah, um, I, think, I think that's true for sure. Cause he could definitely play power forward in today's NBA. You know, before he got injured, he averaged about 20 and five for, for Utah and hit threes. He, he was he got kind of overly hot that last year, almost 40%, but just like when he was healthy, he had very few holes. Um, so he's definitely like a guy who could be like your third player if he's back to himself. And if, and if he's 80%, maybe he's a fifth starter. I don't know. I mean, you hate paying him 30 million to do that, but he, he has to prove that he's a productive player still. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that that's one of the things that we haven't really seen is like, if he's a productive player, like this team's a lot better, we think. And again, the difference between Kemba and Kyrie is probably not all that much. And, and, and if it allows Jason Tatum to get a lot better, again, you guys know that I'm not a huge believer in Tatum having a much higher ceiling. I do think Jalen Brown can get a little bit better. But they get to play Marcus Smart more, get Terry Rozier out of there. I, I can't imagine that he was a huge, uh, you know, addition to that locker room. Like it sounded like there were some issues. So they might have a little addition by subtraction thing going on where there's more clear delineated roles within their team. And it makes it a little bit easier for Brad Stevens now. Yeah, they they still have an interesting team. And I like in general, you know, when they had Isaiah Thomas, you know, having that MVP level season, they they had a size issue too. And they were they were a very small team. They played a lot of guards together. So their dream, I think, is to kind of flood the court with these big wings. And they have the potential to do that with Jalen Brown and Hayward and, and Tatum. Um it's just a matter of like, are those guys gonna bring it? Uh I would love to see, you know, Marcus Smart, you know, play more of like a glue guy X factor off the bench than like be relied on as a scorer, as a starter, because I think that limits their offense. What about them trading for like Steven Adams? Mm. Like, is that, I mean, is that better I, for them or worse? It makes them better defensively. He can guard him. I mean, because the biggest thing like for them is it, it kind of is like, all right, do you want to try to compete to beat? Milwaukee who's going to play five out and you have to try to defend Giannis or do you want to try to play you know I, I do think Philly should be mentioned in the same kind of breadth as Milwaukee I do think Milwaukee's slightly better we'll see how they respond without Brogdon but like there are two very clearly different styles that you have to defend if you're Boston so that's why Horford I thought was so great for them I saw some weird rumor you know just floating would this trade work on Reddit that was kind of interesting what if instead of Kevin Love they, they bring in like Blake Griffin and play him as a big man. See, the problem is we're, we're talking about this and we don't know. I, I love that. I love if, if, if Blake Griffin was available, he should be the number one guy that I think everyone tries to go after. I think he's, you know, Gallinari, like I said, will make a lot of people better. He play out a lot of different positions, but Blake Griffin is the, I mean, this guy was legitimately what, like 23, five and or 23, 10 and five last year on like 38% from three. I mean, this is a guy that's a legitimate, he can handle the ball. You can run your offense through him. Like he can guard, but I don't know if they can do it. Like, like here's here. Can you do like, would Detroit do like Hayward, Jalen Brown, a first and I don't know, Carson Edwards or Romeo Langford for Blake? Probably not. Right. Well, Jalen, I think people like Jalen Brown. I think it's just a matter of, you know, is Detroit, you know, floating in the playoffs or not? If they're, if they're like, you know, 20 and 30, then I think they have to consider moving Blake Griffin. I, Cause I mean, like it's not going to get better from here. Um, you know, like they're in break Griffin's, you know, the tail end of his prime, I think. So like, if you can't make the playoffs with him now, you're not gonna make the playoffs in two years. So you kind of have to blow it up. Yeah. They aren't making the playoffs with him. I should very clear. We should very clearly state that like, that's where Blake Griffin, I think makes the most sense to like move. But again, that contract is like so huge. Yeah. Well, uh, let me ask you another team. Cause they're in kind of a similar boat. Although I think they're, they're probably, you feel better about them. 
just like the team that has a lot of good players and, and one great player at Denver. I mean, talk about depth. They look at this depth chart. They have Jamal Murray and Monty Morris, shooting guard Gary Harris, Malik Beasley, and Torrey Craig. Those last two guys are playable. Um, Will Barton, Michael Porter Jr. Hopefully brings him something. He just tweeted out Adam Silver's cell phone number. Um, Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, who they brought in from Oklahoma City, Jokic, and Mason Plumlee, I think is one of the better backup centers. So that's about, what, 10, 11 playable, <laughs> decent players. Like, is that a winning formula? Or do they need to consolidate and bring in, you know, like, a Bradley Beal? That's it for them. Like, go get Brad Beal. I mean, that's the one thing. Like, him and Jamal Murray with you know, uh, Jeremy Grant and Jokic, like, the, and Michael Porter, hopefully that team's really good. Like, I would look, I don't, again, I don't know that the Wizards would do anything like this. I, I don't think they're trading him for anybody, honestly, but, like, you would think that, like, a Gary Harris first-round pick Malik Beasley type deal could maybe get that done. You know, I, I think you'd probably have to give up Michael Porter to try to get him, but, like, if you're Denver, they may think they can win the title as constructed. I don't know that I believe that. Maybe if everything breaks right, you never know. Like, I don't think we thought Toronto was going to win the title this year. They obviously did. But I think, Denver, you can go get Brad Beal. The problem is it's two-year rental, right? He's probably not signing in Denver if he, if he gets traded there. I would be surprised if he did. But, again, like, that's the team. They're, they're a team that I think can get a lot better. And then, you know, I, like Boston is the other team that they just still have a lot of assets. Like they still have a lot of guys they could trade for. New Orleans maybe even as much. If you think like Zion is all of a sudden way better than you think, can you go get Brad Beal like in the middle of the season or can you go get Blake Griffin in the middle of the season and get a lot better right away and compete for a title next year instead of, you know, three years from now? Yeah, I think it – well, it's interesting. That's why it's like a sort of unfinished business because I don't think any of these teams are going to make that move now. But do you think the Rockets would potentially like, do you think the Rockets would trade? I know you talked about Eric Gordon, but like, would they trade Capella and something for Kevin Love? Or does that just not make sense at all? Because you can't guard anybody. Yeah, you know, this whole can't guard anyone. I I don't think Kevin Love is as bad of a defender as people say. Like, I'd rather have him, you know, his problem is, you know, not super athletic. A little too white for for your liking, maybe. I I really like Kevin Love. He's a very good player. But I mean, like, a guy like Kevin Love, like I, I don't mind the fact, or even Blake Griffin, if you're playing him at center, like the issue, like they can rebound, they're not going to block shots, but you know, and they might be a little undersized, I guess, for a traditional center. I, I'm less worried about them than I'd be worried about like an Enos Cantor on defense, because like those are guys who get mismatched and really abused. Like I don't mind like the playing a traditional power forward at center. I, I don't really see that like bite teams that much, unless you're playing like a LeBron or something who's really going to pound you inside. The problem with the Kevin Love deal though, is he's 31 and you owe him 120 more million. Like it's a ton of money for a guy like that. Cause I was wondering like if I'm Portland, like Kevin Love makes a lot of sense. Like we, we've, we've power ranked this before in terms of like how much better can Portland get, but it's like basically Blake Griffin. I think Danilo is better. And then Kevin Love, but you do have a little bit more stability with Kevin Love. Cause you have more years with Gallinari. It's maybe just a one year thing. So maybe you would give up a little bit more for Kevin Love. But, like, if you're going to give up Whiteside and, like, Zach Collins in a pick, like, I'd rather throw that out to Detroit, let him and Andre Drummond kind of, like, box each other and, you know, get him in the ring because they'll Drummond and Whiteside don't want to kill each other. But, like, they get Zach Collins, they get a pick, they get out from under Whiteside's deal, and then Portland gets a lot better. But at the same time, like, it just feels like teams are not willing to part with real assets for older proven assets at this point. It seems like the league is not willing to do that. 
Well, and that's why, you know, if you're Boston, obviously you don't have to do anything now. Maybe it all works. Maybe you're, you're a top two seed as is. And if it's not, if Enos Cantor is like really getting abused and should be a 20 minute player, you don't necessarily have to trade for, you know, Kevin Love for th- making 35 million a year. There are some like younger, you know, playable, like you mentioned, Mason Plumley. Like I think he would be a, a starting center for them and he can move and he, you know, he plays okay or like Cody Zeller or something like that. Like there are guys like that that are like isn't playable. Cody, isn't Cody Zeller still unsigned? No, Cody or Tyler? Cody's still locked up. Yeah, yeah, Tyler, yeah, Tyler Zeller is. Tyler Zeller is not, a, you know, I'm higher on Cody of the two. And Mason's the best Plumley, But they're like decently skilled. They're, you know, they're fast for, for the position. I think they're they're on a good team. They could be your fifth starter. So, for sure. so that's the other thing, right? Like, let's look at these teams that are just going to be very bad, right? Like Charlotte. Right. Cody's like Bella. plunder, like plunder the carts of these teachers. Right. Nick Batum, can he help anybody? Probably not. I mean, the guy hasn't made a shot in years, but like Marvin Williams, if you need a, a foreman, like what's the asking price on a guy like Marvin Williams? Like what's the asking price on a guy like Cody Zeller? We're talk, we talked about Kevin Love. Like who else is going to be bad with like playable veterans? Like, okay, let's talk about it. The Wizards, they're going to not be very good. So is CJ Miles going to be available at the trade deadline? I mean, there are guys that are capable NBA players that are playing for teams that are likely not going to be contenders that you can probably, you're exactly right. You can probably get them in season for a second round pick in cash or something. Yeah, you know, and Marvin Williams, I think, is a great one because, you know, he's been, again, anonymous in Charlotte, but he he can hit threes, he plays decent defense, you know, good locker room guy. Like, he could help out pretty much every playoff team, you know, if he's in the rotation. It's just that his contract's a little big for his britches, but um, I would like to see him in the playoffs on a good team. It'll be interesting to see, too, how guys attack this year in the middle of the season and maybe do give up more money for a guy like Brad Beal or give up more assets for a guy like Brad Beal just because, like, with Draymond Green signing, we saw that the Spurs were going to were rumored to give a max deal to DeMar DeRozan, which seems a little crazy. Like you're literally your free agent class is like, wait, wait for this, right? Let's just assume Anthony Davis doesn't sign with the Lakers, although he will. Like it's Anthony Davis, and then Gallinari, Gordon Hayward, DeMar DeRozan, Andre Drummond, Serge Ibaka, Eric Gordon. Those are your best unrestricted free agents. Somebody will give Sabonis a big restricted deal. Somebody will give Dario Saric a little bit more money. But, like, that's crazy that, like, that's the 2020 free agent class. So a lot of teams this year, this is what your roster is going to look like next year because you're not going to improve a ton in the draft if you're already pretty good. So how, if you're Denver, like, how do you make sure that if you win 55 games again this year and lose in the Western Conference Finals, how do you get over the hump? And that's where I'd be more inclined to, like, go get Blake Griffin or go get Gallinari and try to re-sign him if he's already in your culture or go get Brad Beal. But there just aren't that many guys available, I don't think. And as a coach, I'll ask you, you know, because it's worked, the mid-season trade has worked before, you know, like Rasheed Wallace in Detroit being maybe the best example. How, like, hard is it? Say, say you're Boston and you're debating a Kevin Love trade. Like, how important is it to get him there early in the season and try to develop some chemistry? Or is it something that you feel pretty comfortable he can plug in in January? Oh, it depends. I mean... I would say it depends on like the the quality of the player and kind of how crazy your system is. Like for a guy like Rick Carlisle, who we've talked about, he calls a million plays might be a little bit tougher, but for a guy, you know, if you go to like Steve Kerr or you go to pop and they run a ton of motion, like I think it's a lot easier and guys kind of understand that situation. I do think on NBA teams, one of the things that's most important is kind of like culture and like locker room fit and how hard our guys going to play. Cause you never, you're never sure until you get a guy under your own roof, how they act with, 
whether it be with coaches, whether it be with other guys on the team. So I think that's the part that you're kind of most concerned about is you want to make sure you do your due diligence on how the personality fit's going to be because every NBA player is really good, you know? So Yeah, well, and it is hard. Like, I think we saw little examples of that last year with, like, remember everyone was really excited when Milwaukee traded for Miritich and because he was coming off a hot... Yeah, he just never really got comfortable as he was in New Orleans. His points per game went down and then, you know, running off to Europe. Um, I think it's the NFL has like is the most clear example of that. Like the midseason trades like rarely work out because they do need a full year. Um, but I think that's sort of an underrated storyline. It's not just like playing pickup where you could just throw them in the court. It takes a little bit of chemistry. And and that's where, again, like I said, I, I feel like we as we're talking about like our roster is not finished. It's really hard to know. We don't know what Michael Porter Jr. is going to look like. We don't know what Gordon Hayward's going to look like. You know, we don't know what another year of everybody on Denver playing together is going to look like. We don't know. Maybe Mike Conley doesn't work in Utah. And, and we don't have any idea how that looks so far. So I don't think we really know. Well, I think I think that one of the big like to be determined is I think the Lakers are maybe the most clear example of that as far as good teams go because right now the plan is to play you know anthony davis to power forward and, and surround him with the big centers cousins or mcgee or whomever is that still going to be the thinking in three months and if not like what do you do how do you like you know change the talent around them to to kind of commit to like davis and playing a little faster or what do you do like that team still feels like a collection of bodies more than a cohesive team right now just because we haven't seen it yet It'll be really tough for Frank Vogel. Like, and all joking aside, like, I'm not going to make the whole, like, Jason Kidd's going to be the coach of the Lakers joke. It'll be very interesting to see what happens with Frank Vogel because, you know, it is going to be, they, they, they're they going to probably play slow when everyone else is going to play fast. And we'll, well, it's funny, like, Roto World, I, I always trust Roto World step chart. They officially list LeBron as the starting point guard now. I mean, it's crazy, but. I mean, that uh, should be the, that, that should be the case, honestly. Like, whether or not it. It matters. Like, do, you th- do you consider like like right now? Like let's say this is the lineup they list: is LeBron at point guard, Bradley at shooting guard, Danny Green as a small forward. I'm like I just wouldn't list them that way. Even if LeBron's running the point, I, I still don't look at him as a point guard. Like wh- you know what I mean? Like what what's the point of a position then? If it's just like whoever has the ball is the point guard, I guess. Yeah, probably. But also so like, like having, uh, having nominal point guard. Well, having like nominal positions we've talked about is like kind of stupid at this point. You you want to play your best lineup, whether or not, you know, like I said, if that's I don't know, if that's LeBron at the one, great. But if it's like just LeBron being your high usage well, guy or how many like point guards is LeBron guarding this year? I mean, I don't, I mean, none, like it doesn't, they're going to hide him on the worst defensive player on the worst offensive player, every team they play. Like that's just going to, until he decides like, Hey, I want to go guard the other team's best player, which he will do at a certain point. But in a, you know, like he's not guarding Kawhi and Paul George, like the whole game on opening night. That's just not going to happen. He's going to guard like Rodney McGruder. Right. And, And rightfully so. I mean, you know, given his age, what is he 34 or whatever? I mean, he shouldn't be guarding, you know, Russell Westbrook or something. It'd be silly, but I don't know. The calling him a point guard is a little silly to me. So. All right. Last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here. Did you read the Chris Haynes profile on Kevin Durant's offseason? Uh, no. I read like snippets of it. but I Where he said like the Warriors didn't force him to play or anything? I did see that. There's a poll quote. Yes. Then did you see right after that he, I don't know, this was from Yahoo Sports. I'm assuming it was Chris Haynes. But then they reported that he stopped talking to his teammates in the middle of the season. Did you see that? Like I did see that. Yes. So what are we to be- what are we to believe here that like Kevin Durant was happy in Golden State or unhappy? Well, it clearly went sour. I mean, it's so it's such a cliche, right? I mean, I don't understand it. But you know, the Bill Simmons was a disease of more or whatever. Like 
these things always Bill go Simmons. bust. It's Pat, it's Pat Riley, but oh, yeah. Pat Riley, but he Bill Simmons harped on it in his book. Um, I I just don't understand why. Like you know, like it happens every time that you know these people, the egos get the best of them. But like talk about like a great basketball situation. Those guys all fit so well together. They only played for three years together. It's not the no, uh, not at all. I mean, it really isn't like that, and it's. Just, amazing way that that kind of I mean, we're going to hear more as it gets out I'm, I'm happy that kevin durant said that nobody forced him to play i think this was that was one of the stupidest storylines i thought of the uh at post finals or, or game six on obviously but it's just like do we you know him and draymond green like it's like any kind of employee you maybe work with right like you may not be well, friends can, with can i ask you that again as a coaching question so I, we always say we give Steve Kerr a lot of credit. I think we ranked him as the second best coach, partly because he gets along with players and manages egos. Was that his responsibility? If Kevin Durant's not talking to Draymond Green, is it the coach's responsibility to mend the fence? Well, I think it's the coach's the responsibility. Court. No, I don't think that at all. I think it's the coach's responsibility to make sure he does what helps them win the most on the court. I don't think it's his responsibility to monitor players' personal relationships if it is not affecting them on the court. How we... How we perceive it affected. You clearly didn't see Eddie with Whoopi Goldberg, did you? Because Eddie, can I tell you what happened to Eddie? No, Just I don't care educate about, no, you. I, no, I have seen that movie before. But so listen, like I, I don't think like on a, on a strictly like bad news bears type basis, it's not like if you guys are best friends, you're automatically going to be the best team. I think it's, if Steve Kerr didn't deem it to be as huge of an issue on the court as other people did, I don't think it's his responsibility to fix it. Now, I you got to make sure you guys play together. It didn't seem to be a huge issue after the first like meltdown, but I mean, I don't know. Well, I, and uh, allegedly a lot of it stems from Durant being upset, right? And not even like Durant. It was more like the organization favoring Curry still or whatever. Again, it just is what it is. Like you're Kevin Durant. Like you're. What, what do you? What more do you need? Guys feeling slighted when they make tens of millions in endorsements in their own right is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. It's crazy. I, well, and also like you show up in, at Steph Curry's house and you're like, you're mad that he gets what he wants for dinner. You know, I mean, it's just. Uh, All right. Well, really the final thing. Let's, let's go to the underdog, NBC, uh, underdog sports NFL show for a second. An- Antonio Brown. <laughs> How much would you charge him if you owned an air raid helmet from 2010 or 2011? Like if he called you and he was like, Hey, Zandrick, you have the one helmet left that I can play in in the regular season, what is a fair price to charge him? <laughs> oh gosh. Helmet right now. He's currently, he's currently offering a practice worn Raiders autographed helmet. That's definitely not enough. <laughs> I mean, such a ridiculous storyline to me. Um, the, the idea that like, if people don't follow the NFL, the idea is that, you know, they, they change the rule. They want to update their helmets and they had sort of like the slow trickling process of so like a helmet that was what, 10 years old it had to be updated. It can't, well, once, once it's older than 10 years old, no matter what the brand is or if it's certified or whatever, it, it cannot be worn anymore. It can't be 10 years old. And then, I, and Antonio Brown's argument is that it should, he had used it before. So he should be like grandfathered in, which correct. Like, and this, this specific model was grandfathered in. It's just now not certified because it's 10 years old. The model that he wears. But I would just love to hear like an argument, like say, Say like Richard Sherman be like, you know, when I started playing, we were allowed to put two hands on receivers and, and they changed the rule. I mean, I should be grandfathered in. Like, how do you, why are you above like the rules? I don't understand Did that. You, the, the rest of the story is even more hilarious because the NFL ruled against him, right? They said, no, like you cannot wear this helmet. Only like a couple other players wear it, like five other guys wear it, two of which are Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. And one of the things that and neither one of them has complained. And 
one of the things that Antonio Brown said is like the other helmets kind of like mess with his vision as a receiver. So like the quarterbacks don't need to care about it, but that I, I don't know how that can be the same. They need to see the field just as well as he does. But it's like, so the NFL rules against him. And then a reader from pro football talk emailed the NFL players association and was like, Hey, look at this. Like, here's a loophole. Like these helmet models are made in 2010 and 2011. So if he can find a 2011 model, he can wear that again for another two years. Even though the helmet hasn't been certified by the NFL, it would still be grandfathered in under their stupid player safety rules. So it doesn't even matter that the helmet's not safe. As long as it's not 10 years old, he can wear that model. It's like, well, is it a how stupid ridiculous rule? I mean, we don't know that. Well, we don't know the how. I don't know the technology and player safety, but, but why is the NFL not research? Why is the NFL not certifying certain helmets every single year? Like that should be the. Mo- I mean, we get that they don't care about player safety. Like that's fine. But like, but you can't say that both things. They're, they're fighting for theoretically player safety here. It's they're, not like they're, they're just. They're not fighting for player safety though, because they're not going to go recertify this helmet. He can only wear it because it's grandfathered in under their original rules. When they changed the rules, this helmet did not get certified. But because he was wearing it before and they allowed it, they let guys wear it for 10 years. Apparently he's back. But, you know, and as far as relevance to the NBA, like, w- what if this happened in the NBA? Like, LeBron, like, wasn't allowed to wear his, like, brand shoes or whatever and refused to play. I, I couldn't see Adam Silver ever, like, fighting against that. No, not at all. Like, Silver, Silver's basically like the NCAA in the sense where, like, when bad things happen, he just sees it. And then he's like, uh, let's fix it. No big deal. I'll well, you know, it. my one thing I ranted about Adam Silver not doing a great job lately, the idea that players, like, player empowerment run amok. Like, do you agree with me that there should be sort of, like, a level of, like, independent clearance? Or it's like, I have two ideas for it, actually, now that I think about it. Um, like, independent team, not team-affiliated doctors or medical professionals. Maybe they're paid by the players' union. And once they like clear you to play, you have to play or else you don't get paid for the games you miss. Yeah, it's, you're right. You're right. But what about this too, like as a compromise, because maybe that creates tension. You work, no, but you, you work in something where, um, you know, salary, let's say, you know, who's an average player, like CJ Miles. CJ Miles makes what, like $5 million a year? Eight, okay, well, that's a lot for CJ Miles. But um, let's say that there was like 6 million in the contract that was guaranteed. And then the other 2 million is dished out in per game bonuses. So just for playing. So if he plays, he gets, let's say $50,000 a game he plays and everyone's contract is kind of structured around that way. So if Kawhi Leonard wants to rest, he wants to manage a game, that's fine, but he might miss, you know, whatever, a hundred thousand dollars for that game. Just not get that part of the salary. Hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that's fine with me. I don't, I don't mind though. Like, I just don't like guys sitting out for no, when it's like very clearly, like you're not in, like, if it's rest, I get it. It's totally, that's, that's okay with me. And rep, it needs to be reported as rest. And you should probably have a certain number of like rest games you can use. Like, I think that should be written in because I do think at the end of the day, the product is entertainment and it just should. But yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think of my, I just thought of this on the fly. So it needs to work. But it's like, kinks, but like not playing in the second half. Cause he was like, I want to get traded to the Lakers and I don't want to get hurt. And I'm not going to help the Pelicans. Like that should not be allowed. Like you should be fined every day. You don't play. Right. But like the hard part is like there, there are certain load management, like we saw with Toronto last year where they were probably encouraging it just to like, you know, it was mutually agreed upon rest days. So you don't want to like penalize somebody for that necessarily, but and you don't want to subvert the the situation theoretically. Say everyone has a 
$50,000 bonus for the games they play coming in and playing two minutes and leaving just to make them happy. Yeah. Um, that's not yeah, ideal. That's true. That's true. But again, they don't want to ruin their per game stats because all they care about is per game stats. So maybe they don't want to play two minutes a game. And that's <laughs> also, You're right by the that. way. You're right about that. They'd want the money not, I think, more. I think they want the money. But I'll tell you, it's it's not unrelated. Like the idea that we value per game stats so much allows players like Kawhi Leonard to rest 20 games a year because he knows no one's judging him based on his aggregate total. They're just looking at his per game numbers. Well, because he's so good, he's never going to have a like number of games played thing in his like contract. You know, like he's he's beyond that. So it's like there's never going to be a contract that's like, hey, Kawhi, you need to play 60 games to vest like 40% of your contract or something. But don't you think if we if we started using and it's harder to visualize in our head, if we ranked you know assist leaders per year, points leaders per year by totals, you know this guy had seven hundred assists this year, this guy had seven hundred and eighty. I think players would not rest as much as they do now. All right, we need more topics for next week because man, August in the <laughs> NBA is very very slow. I don't know what we're gonna do. We maybe we'll get a D League schedule next week. G League, excuse me. G what League about schedule. Big Three? We could go full into Big Three. Talk about the, we could talk about the. We'll get Reggie Evans. Can we get Reggie Evans on here? I would love to interview Reggie Evans. If you can make a big three interview happen, we'll do that the whole show next week. Okay, uh, as we'll I am at Sirius Tyler on Twitter. He is at Zan underscore Ellison. I email the show ZandrickEllison at gmail.com. And uh, as always, Zan, it's a pleasure. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news. <laughs>